Alrighty, good afternoon, everybody. Happy Monday. Gurren Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. It is the last week of June, and Wiz and I are about to uh, take on our team capsules as we start the AFC East today. Uh, Wiz, how are you doing? Yeah, doing well. It's a bit of a scorcher amidst of a, a heat wave going on here in uh, in New York. Should be lasting a few days, but uh, even though the weather says a hundred, we're talking football. So, yeah, look, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, teams are going to be in camps dealing with this weather all over the country very, very shortly. Yeah. No, absolutely, and uh, yeah, it's getting uh, <clears throat> it's getting closer a little bit, and uh, yeah, we're gonna, you know, like you said, another month or so, uh, they'll be going to camp, and um, we're really gonna, you know, with each passing day, uh, we're marching towards the uh, start of the football season. So we're gonna go team by team, and uh, I think uh, we're gonna start with the AFC East today, right? Uh, y- yes, we are. I'm gonna start off with the. Uh... Division champion was the Buffalo Bills last year. Uh, a really tremendous season by, by by the Bills, by by all accounts. Uh, this was a team. This is a team that improved in a lot of different facets. I would say, especially on the offensive side of the football. Uh, the big addition last year w- was Stephon Diggs, and, and and what a material difference he made to this passing attack. And and, and most noteworthy, of course, was the progression. Of, of Josh Allen, who, you know, previous years, 53%, 59% uh, completion ratio. He went to work in the offseason and a very, very notable change in his ability to kind of connect with his receivers, in particular with, with Stefan Diggs. And I think it made a significant difference in, in, in why the Bills were the, you know, really the offensive team that they were last year was. Yeah, and there's no question about it. And he he, brought, he brings with him uh, an arsenal of throwing the ball all over the park, running the ball. When they get down there, they have designed runs for him. He is a elite fantasy football quarterback. There's no question about that. You know, one thing I was looking when I was doing my research, it was remarkable to me. In his first two seasons, zero 300-yard games. Last year, he had eight. So you're talking about a material improvement and, and really, if you remember in some of the, I think in some fantasy football leagues, especially at the start of the season, it was a little low in the middle and he picked it up in the second half again. But Josh Allen was basically carrying, if you, if you had Josh Allen, he was your starting quarterback. A lot of those teams got off to a red hot start in terms of fantasy football, uh, and you know, and, the, and and look, there was a there was a definitive connection that he established with with Stephen Diggs, and you know, I think I think Josh Allen coming into this season certainly, and, and and by the way, I am intrigued with Mitch Trubisky being the backup, and normally you don't talk about backups, but you talk about mobility of of both of these quarterbacks. I'm of course I'm not trying to compare the two quarterbacks' talent, but in the event something would happen to Josh. Allen and Mitch Trubisky would step in, I, I think you get, especially in this offense, you would see not really a dissipation on the rushing side uh, of the equation when it came to a replacement for Josh Allen, if in fact there was an injury. I, I, and I think there may be some guys out there that may, that may look at this situation and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to draft Josh Allen and I'm just going to back him up with Mitch Trubisky instead of worrying about or paying up for it. And that's something that might be you know, somewhat of a beneficial strategy. But I, I'm not trying to compare the two players I just find it I think it's a good landing spot for Mitch Trubisky in terms of if something would ever happen to Josh Allen he I think he fits into this offense a little bit better especially with his legs yeah 
I mean, you always got to think about, you know, <clears throat> what happens if, when you come to drafting, you're starting quarterback. But uh, I, think it's, I think it's a good landing spot for him as well. I think he could learn a lot. And, uh, <clears throat> and you know, it's rare that you see the backup and the starter both kind of fairly young. Usually you have one of them and more of a veteran player, but both have been in the league for uh, a few years. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, as far as Josh, Josh Allen's concerned, there's not much really to say. He's no worse than a top three or four quarterback in all formats. Yeah, so here's one thing I would want to ask you is, and, 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 and there's a little history here. So there have been 23 teams in NFL history that have previously scored 500 points in a single season. Okay, uh, of those teams, over half of those teams declined by over a hundred points the following season, and seventy percent declined by at least five points a game. So I, I would ask you, with the return of all of their offensive linemen, they come back. Brian Dable, who was who's the offensive coordinator here, uh, he was rumored to be potentially in line for a few starting. Uh, uh, coaching jobs, but he still remains here with the team. Are the Buffalo Bills, in your eyes, an exception to that rule, i.e. they actually are able to continue on this path the way their offense is performing, or can you see a regression with this particular offense? Yeah, I mean, I think the stat is interesting, uh, but I would just have to look at, you know, regarding that stat, how many of those teams did not have the same starting quarterback the following year? How many of those teams did not have basically the same offensive skill players? How many of them were missing key offensive linemen? How many of them were intact? I mean, the Bills come into the season and basically it's the same exact roster on offense with the exception of they lose John Brown, they plug in Emmanuel Sanders, and now they add Matt Breida to the mix of the running game. So, I, you know, I, they were so outrageously successful on offense. Yes, I could see a little bit, uh, you know, a flowing off, but, but not much. I mean, they, they just, they, they, that offense is ready to roll and, uh, they want to throw the ball early and often. So um, it's an interesting stat, but as far as the Bills' offense go, I, I think they should be right up there, you know, near the top this season as well. And I think the one thing that that is interesting to me is that th- this division, um, given the moves in the offseason by some of the other teams, uh, how someone like the Dolphins, how they kind of moved up up from the previous season. This division looks so much better on paper coming into the season than it than it did last year going into the season. Not that, you, you know, you and I in particular, I think both of us felt that the Dolphins had a, a reasonable opportunity last year to kind of move up move up in the division. But, you know, we, the regression uh, of the New England Patriots, the Jets kind of weren't on the map, but they make a lot of changes. But, I, you know, I come into this season, I look at this division, and I'm impressed uh, with what I see here. Yeah, there's no question about it. The Bills is one of the top you know, three teams probably in the AFC. Um, the, the the Dolphins have a playoff roster. Uh, they were right on the fringe last year. I think they'll be a playoff team this year. Patriots have had so many years of success and a lot of reasons for them falling off last year. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to those teams and talk specifically. But to your point, um, with the Bills and the Dolphins having such great – I think terrific rosters and the Jets having a lot of good young players and the Patriots still in a lot of people's minds being the, the you know, the team that has been champions of that division for so many years, 
there's no question about it that the AFC East is um, is on the right trajectory in terms of talent. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about the running back position. So, uh, you know, you mentioned Josh Allen, his ability to run the ball, so it takes away some of the uh, necessity for their own running backs to actually do damage, particularly around the goal line. I thought it was pretty interesting if I look at both running backs, pretty close to the same uh, average yard per carry. We're talking about Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, the rookie from last year. He got hurt at the end of last year. As Wiz mentioned, Matt Breida gets added to the mix. You know, I, I don't know if you think st- things could materially change here, uh, but but basically we're looking at, an, like I said, an offensive line that returns all their players. But I, I don't know. So to me, Zach Moss last year was, was at that disadvantage of being a rookie, and then he gets hurt late in the year. Devin Singletary never seemed to establish himself the way we might thought he could have done so last year. He is the better pass catcher of the two. Uh, I think it's noteworthy that Breida, we, we've looked at him in 18 and 19, and you know he's a very fast guy, but this seems always to be dealing with something going on on the injury front. So, yeah, it's an interesting group of guys. I don't know if you see one of the, one, one of these guys in particular kind of breaking away. I, I could make the case that if, if it's Zach Moss, I could understand people kind of drafting Moss ahead of maybe the other two players coming into this season. But I, I don't know, for those looking for kind of fantasy fruit uh, off of a tree here, it, it doesn't seem like a situation that necessarily is going to be one that yields a lot of success, at least to start or, or without an injury. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the running backs all have different skills and, and different things that they do well. Uh, Devin Singletary has terrific vision, terrific footwork, and he's a pretty you know good receiver out of the backfield. Zach Moss is one of these bruisers that will get better the more carries he gets, but it doesn't look like he's going to be in these type of games where he's able to really show that. And the, the one thing that both of those two players lack are, are breakaway speed. And then Matt Breeder's in the mix, and, that, and that's what he brings to the table. When it all shakes out and when you all look at it you know none of those running backs in my opinion are a fantasy football team starting running back at best they're a flex or bi-week plug and play uh, but in, 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 in leagues that use the standard draft 16 start 10 where you're starting two running backs and a flex spot at best at best, one of those guys could be a flex starter um, and plug and play, but none of those guys should be uh, one of your top two running backs. Uh, but I will say, if something was to happen in terms of an injury to Moss or Singletary, and then the other guy gets the lion's share of the carries, that could obviously change. But we can't forecast injuries, and we certainly don't want injuries or think about injuries. So as we go into the season, I don't have any of those bill running backs as fantasy starters. I have them um, at best flex plays, but most likely plug and play when your better options are on bye weeks. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. Now, certainly a different story when we look at receiver. Uh, Stefan Diggs, a remarkable 12 targets a game last year. Uh, probably one of the most unheralded guys, particularly in PPR leagues, is a guy like Cole Beasley. They really use him as kind of like, a, I would say, part of their rushing game, the way they use him uh, in terms of patterns and, and where he's catching the football. But if you look at Beasley the last two seasons, number 37 and number 31 in PPR leagues in terms of ranking, uh, as you mentioned, they had Emmanuel Sanders uh, in, uh, as John Brown leaves town. Uh, we both liked Gabriel Davis at times last year, uh, but never really kind of established himself. I, I kind of worry that, that if you combine Gabriel Davis and Emmanuel Sanders' production in this offense, you know, they'll kind of 
week in and week out that probably offset one another. Isaiah McKenzie is another guy in, uh, in this receiving core. Jake Kumaro, the former uh, Green Bay Packers on this roster. So they got, they got a number of different options, but it, it's going to be the Stephen Diggs show and, and followed closely by Cole Beasley in terms of, you know, again, very surprising. I think if we were to tell most people that he was ranked 37 and 31 the last two years in PPR leagues, that would be a surprise to folks. Yeah, just like Josh Allen is no worse than, you know, top three quarterback. Uh, you know, same thing with Diggs. He should be viewed as no worse than a top, you know, three or four wide receiver overall. As far as the other guys, I agree with the Sanders and Gabriel Davis and McKenzie getting in there. I'm not – I don't know what's going on with Cole Beasley with his latest stuff that he's, you know, he doesn't want to get vaccinated. He's going to retire. He's going to do this. I don't like any of that stuff. Um, it's, again, it's certainly a situation you would agree that that warrants monitoring, right? I mean, you, you hear this sort of stuff. And, and, I mean, I, I, think, I think, you know, if it all gets resolved, you know, Cole Beasley is in the mix for, you know, wide receiver three, possibly um, another guy flex spot. But none of those receivers outside of Stephen Diggs do I feel confident or love um, in a 12-team league where you start three guys. I mean, can Beasley, you know, get in there and finish as a wide receiver three? Yeah, I think he's done that the last couple of years. But now they bring in Sanders, who's a good route runner, experienced receiver. You know, I'm not sure what that's going to mean, but I'm not overly confident. I think they're all going to offset each other. So, again, I don't mind, and I wouldn't tell people not to draft Cole Beasley or Sanders or Davis or those guys, but I think they're more flex, plug-and-play when the better guys on your team have bye weeks. I don't really have much confidence in any of those guys outside of Diggs and wide receiver. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, and uh, and a tight end. I think it's it's interesting that the Bills were I think the third worst team in the league in terms of targeting their tight ends. They were mentioned in some of the rumors with Zach Ertz, uh, never came to fruition, at least not to this point. Uh, but Dawson Knox is a starter. They had Jacob Hollister from uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, so those are the two guys that they're running out of tight end. But you know, like I mentioned, this is just not an offense. Now, now maybe if something would if something if you took uh, Beasley out of the mix perhaps one of these tight ends would become a bigger part of the offense so something to watch for uh but generally speaking this team did not utilize its tight end last year yeah you should not be drafting Dawson Knox or or Jacob Hollister in in any leagues I mean those guys will be available on your waiver wire in a week where if you have a you know a starting your, your starting tight end is on a bye week and you're desperate, or the Bills you feel have a good matchup, or if Knox had some good games against their opponent that week, uh, the week you know that your starter is off, um, you know maybe you want to consider picking him up and putting a plug and play in on the player uh, that particular week. But there, there really shouldn't be no circumstances where you should have Dawson Knox or Jacob Hollister on your roster. Yeah, well, that's true, and uh, but it's a little different when we're talking about the kicker and the special teams here. And I think it's noteworthy, Tyler Bass, you know, in cold temperatures, but still big leg and was trotted out there on, on long field goals at times. And I think the other thing is, is in a high-scoring offense, he's going to be relevant in terms of extra points. Uh, the defense, uh, you know, we, we've they have a number of key players. The Bills, second half of the season, they actually led the NFL in interceptions. You know, Tredavious White is a big part of that, that success in the 
defensive secondary. Uh, they added A.J. Klein to this defense, Matt Milano. Uh, we saw the difference that he makes when he's on the field versus when he's not because the Bills' defense was not the same when he was out of action. Uh, the one guy that they did add to this mix, a player who opted out of the uh, college football season last year, but you know, can give the Bills something that they do need, and that's a pass rush because they weren't particularly adept at, at actually sacking the quarterback. And Gregory Rousseau uh, could be a player that does that. The, the draft pick from the previous season, A.J. Epinesa, really didn't have that kind of success. Maybe he bounces back from some of the injury bug that kind of bit him last year. But I think, you know, both both these units, the Bills defense and the kicker, Tyler Bass, will be, will be relevant on a lot of fantasy football teams this year, Wiz. Yeah, Tyler Bash is a top 12 picker. He has a big leg. He's on an elite offense. There's no reason that he shouldn't be drafted. He should be on in every format in a 12-team league. He should be drafted. And the Bills, I you know the Bills, the Bills defense is interesting. They a lot of have a lot of game scripts where their defense can possibly put up big numbers because their offense is so elite that they're in position. Sometimes they didn't look like they were playing hard on defense, which is a sad thing to say. It looked like they were teams were able to run right down the throat. Um, so even in that playoff game against the Colts, the Colts were moving the ball up and down the field, except yeah. they made some bad calls and some bad things happen when they got inside the 10-yard line. Um, but, you know, to your point, Tyler Bass, in all format, should be should be drafted as a kicker and, you know, as a top-12 kicker. And I think the Bills are right around in the middle of that range. And uh, if somebody, you know, could give me good reasons why I could be talked into really liking the Bills. But then again, it's, you know, a lot of things that I point out and other people point out, uh, I could see the Bills you know, it can be the type of defense that you want to draft, but also want to maybe have another defense for this uh, when the Bills do not have wonderful matchups. So, in agreement with you, the Bills and Tyler Bass will be drafted in um, just about all formats. Yep. I mean, uh, yeah, Tyler Bass and the Bills defense. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and I, and I would uh, definitely agree with that. All right, very good, Wiz. That's, uh, that's our synopsis on the Buffalo Bills. Anything further to add on the Bills? No, nothing. No, ready. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're moving on to the next team. All right, very good, everybody. Just to remind everybody, Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. We are on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Make sure you're listening. But we are on our way as we start each of the team capsules here. Uh, we'll be putting them out over the next three, four weeks. Please stay tuned, subscribe, and enjoy. Wiz, speak to you in a bit about the Miami Dolphins. You got it.